any church or if you're if you're new to coming back to church if it's been a while um, basically what you'll find here is that we typically just go through books of the Bible uh, small big somewhere in between we just kind of march through a book of the Bible regularly on Sunday mornings and so this Sunday is no different we'll be in the book of Philippians uh, chapter 2 but firstly he is risen He is risen. All right. Now, if you're sitting there like, what just happened? What are these people doing? Um, I'm glad you're here. Because the only reason I'm here, and the only reason a lot of us are here this morning, is because we believe something happened almost 2,000 years ago, that a Jewish carpenter turned itinerant preacher from Nazareth named Jesus, that he was executed on a Roman cross, which was one of the most brutal executionary solutions that human beings could come up with, that Jesus was crucified and buried, but that he didn't stay dead. He is risen. He came up out of the grave. Not only, though, was he raised from the dead, but that he still lives today. Pretty crazy, huh? That's a wild thing to believe. But for a moment, let's just say it's true. And let's say that not only was Jesus raised from the dead, never to die again, but also that he made some seriously uh, significant claims. But wouldn't the fact that a person who had just been raised from the dead after really being dead, wouldn't the fact that they had just been raised give them some credibility for making some claims? If you had to bury a good friend or loved one and three days later you saw them face to face and they started telling you things, deep things, (laughs) would you believe them? Would you give them a second thought? If you're not a Christian today, I am so, so glad you're here because we are going to reflect and examine the beating heart of Christianity this morning, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you grew up watching Magic School Bus? How many of you, your kids grew up watching Magic School Bus? How about your grandkids grew up watching Magic School Bus? <laughs> Magic School Bus is a, is a cartoon where a, a kind of a crazy substitute teacher named Miss Frizzle, she would take over the class And she would invite the class onto her magic school bus. And that school bus could do a myriad of things. But one of them was shrink to a microscopic size. So that the class could go look at things in nature that no one could get to otherwise. And one of the episodes is them traveling into one of their classmates who was six body. And riding the magic school bus all the way down 
the circulatory system. And so they're in one of the blood vessels and they get to the beating heart of their classmate. And they're on the magic school bus. This morning, we are traveling to the beating heart of Christianity. Christianity 101, we're going to look at this morning. And that exists in the word gospel. So, except for the introductory week, all 17 messages in this book of Philippians have the word gospel in it. Our series in this book is called Joyfully Pressing On in the Gospel. Gospel. What does that even mean? Now, if you hear the word gospel and you immediately think of music or religion, it's you I want to talk to this morning. Gospel. It simply means good news. It has a pretty simple meaning. And it's an ancient term. It's a heralding term. Bringing news to a people that didn't know what was going on yet. Like a headline. You know, you've heard of the the newspaper delivery people. Extra, extra, read all about it. This This is that term. A heralding of news. Now, many of us are addicted to the news cycle. You know, we have news apps, we have our, 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 our one, two, three, four news sites that we check every day. Whether it's political news, music news, sports news, movie news, whatever your interest is, there's a news cycle for you. But as we all know, the news cycle, what's in the news today is forgotten tomorrow. They're right on to the next thing. And the next thing, clickbait. Whatever will get you to click on it to make them money, that's what they want to tell you. That's what they want to put before your eyes. But this morning, the gospel that we're talking about, the good news, the headline that we're looking at this morning claims to always be relevant. It claims to always supersede any headline that you could pull up at this moment This good news claims to be relevant and important for your life right now, every day. So before we get into our passage, I'll just tell you up front what the gospel of Jesus is not. The gospel of Jesus is not a set of rules for you to follow so that God will accept you. The gospel of Jesus is not that all religions essentially lead to the same place. The gospel of Jesus is not that all people are basically good. There are a host of ways to say what the gospel is. But a simple definition is this. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of the world. Period. Not Jesus and this. Not Jesus and that. Jesus, period. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's the good news, that he is the Savior and Lord of the world. Now, in today's passage, Paul gives us a six-verse biography of Jesus. 
But not just Jesus as a human being, but Jesus as the eternally begotten Son of the living God who has always been the second person of the triune God, co-equal with the Father. We get a window into the internal thoughts of this Jesus. The Jesus before he took on flesh. But not just the Jesus of eternity past, we get a biography of the Jesus of eternity future. Basically, Paul lays out the entire life story as in the eternal life story of Jesus here in these six verses. So, from this mini-bio, we learn who it is that God has put in charge of heaven and earth. We learn who it is. Who is this Jesus? We'll look at it in three sections. First, what Jesus did to earn that title. Second, what God did in response. And finally, what we are supposed to do about it. So let's take a look. Philippians chapter 2. Again, that's on page 980 in the Pew Bible. And we'll start in verse 5. Paul's in prison. He's writing to a group of his friends in ancient northern Greece, a city called Philippi. Paul is in Rome, and it's about the year 60 AD. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the Bible that teaches us about you. But it doesn't only teach us about you, it teaches us your very character. Lord, we can learn who you are and get to know you experientially through it. Not just know things about you, not just know facts and figures about you, but to know you. And I praise you this morning that you are a God who wants to be known by us. That you invite us to know you, to experience your love, your goodness, and your life. And we thank you for Jesus and what he did for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so firstly, what did Jesus do? We read that in verses 6 through 8. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. After Jesus rose from the dead, and before he ascended into heaven, disappeared behind a cloud in the presence and in, from the eyes of his disciples, before that, he made the biggest claim anyone on earth has ever made. He said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What? Who, who says that? Who has the audacity, the boldness to say such a thing? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said. How could any mere human make such a claim? Well, if it comes from the lips of a human that was dead just hours prior, I mean, you might listen and give it a second thought. But even in that passage, in Matthew 28, it says, his disciples gathered around him and some doubted. Can you believe that? Some of his disciples who, who witnessed him be crucified, buried, rose from the dead, when he gathered them around him, some of them were like, I don't know. And that word doesn't necessarily mean intellectual doubt, like they don't believe he's standing there in front of them. But wavering. When, when confronted with the risen Lord Jesus, still, I don't know. And so if you're in that place this morning, you're in good company. Even the people who were face-to-face -face with him still struggled. We live in a time where most everyone is questioning authority. It doesn't matter if you're right, left, center, whatever. We're questioning authority. And a lot of times, rightly so. The, the leaders of our world are oftentimes corrupt. The leaders of our churches are oftentimes corrupt, looking out for their own interests, full of themselves and their own selfish agendas. And these are the exact attitudes that Paul is encouraging us to give up as a community. Why is he even talking about Jesus right now? It's because he's encouraging this church to be selfless. He says in verse 3, don't do anything from rivalry, which just means viewing all things through how it can benefit you. And don't do that from rivalry and don't do it from conceit, which is a puffed up view of yourself. Viewing yourself as more important than others. He says, don't act like that. Instead, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's been his exhortation to this community. That's what he wants the church to be like. And so he points to Jesus as the ultimate answer. But is the answer to throw away authority altogether? Well, the problem with doing that is that still, at the end of the day, we find the same selfishness inside ourselves. Authority isn't the problem. Power is not the problem. 
It's deeper than that. But thankfully, what we see here laid out in crystal clear, high definition is that Jesus is different. Jesus is different. In verse 6, we get a rare window into the thought life of Jesus before he became a man. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that word is a difficult one to translate. It basically means he didn't consider his status as equal with God as something to be enjoyed to his own selfish gain. He didn't consider it something to hold on to tightly. For eternity past, God the Son has existed. Perfect. Equal with the Father. Even while being in the form of God, his character was such that he never wanted to use this status as God to his own advantage. If there were to come a time when releasing his privilege, his power, his prestige, his status would benefit others, he would do it. That's his character. That's what he's like. That's what he's always been like. In the form of God, he didn't consider that equality to be something to always hang on to. Can you believe that? From eternity past, Jesus held his divine benefits with an open hand. Do you know anyone that holds their power like that? Do you hold power like that? Can you believe anyone would hold power like that with open hands? So when opportunity came knocking to let go of his power, to let go of his status, to benefit humanity, he took it. He took it. The eternal son of God who, according to the New Testament, was the creator of the human body. He emptied himself of his divine privileges and took on a human body. The author of the story wrote himself into the story. Not as a high-class, wealthy emperor, but as a poor Jewish carpenter. Not from the capital city, but from a, a distant suburb, small town, Nazareth. He didn't stop being God, but he did start becoming and being a man. As the creed says, he was truly God and truly man, the God-man. And you know what? He will never stop being human. Does that blow your mind? The eternal Son of God, co-equal with the Father took on flesh, and didn't stop. He will always have a human body. Now, mind you, the the human body he has right now is immortal. It will never die again, but it's a human body. He will never stop being a human. That was his decision that he made 
that didn't just last 33, give or take, years. It will last for the rest of time. This was a permanent decision. And he didn't stop there. Look at verse 8. It says that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, a lot of commentators and scholars think that Paul added that even death on a cross bit because even Paul was like, whoa, because a cross was offensive. A cross was offensive to both Roman citizens and the Jews. Did you know that the cross, you were exempt from the execution of the cross if you were a Roman citizen. The cross was only for non-citizens. And the Jews, if you were hung on a tree to die, you were cursed, according to the Old Testament. The cross was offensive. You know, it wasn't a bit of jewelry that people wear to look cool. This was an offensive executionary device to more than one people group. And yet Jesus took it on. And he didn't just hold power loosely. He didn't just agree to take on a human body forever. He entrusted himself to God the Father. It says that he became obedient. Jesus is the original disciple. He's the original disciple. 700 years before this was written, the prophet Isaiah wrote four beautiful songs about Jesus. They're called the servant songs. And one of them describes the discipleship of Jesus. Listen to this. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus talking. He says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me and therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be put to shame. That's Jesus, 700 years prior to this, anticipating what he was going to go through and being discipled by his father. What am I going to go through? Well, you're going to go through spitting. <laughs> you're going to go through people striking your back. You're going to go through people pulling out your beard, but I'm going to be with you. Jesus knew that entrusting himself entirely to his father would turn out for his deliverance. And so he was willing to face even the brutal death of the cross if it meant accomplishing what the father had set out for him to do. So this is what Jesus did. Being God, he emptied himself. Being man, he humbled himself, even to the point of death. Now, death is typically the end. It's typically the end. For everyone who has ever lived, it has been the end. Until Jesus. So, 
That's what Jesus did. Now, what did God do? Look at verse 9. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. All right, so what did God do in response to Jesus' obedience? We see that he responded by giving everything to Jesus. Because of Jesus' humble, selfless, obedient act, God has highly exalted him. Highly exalted. That means resurrection. But it means more than that. The word highly exalted means to raise higher than the highest height. To exalt exceedingly. Jesus equal with God the Father, emptied himself all the way down to death. He was brought exceedingly low. Then God put his stamp of approval on what Jesus did by raising him from the dead, welcoming into his presence once more, and seating him at his right hand. All the way up. Jesus went all the way down and has been brought all the way up. And do you notice that Jesus didn't seize his power. He didn't even pursue it. All that Jesus did was emptying himself, humbling himself, submitting himself. And then God gave him the authority. God gave him the power. Jesus didn't seek it for his own good. It's been given to him. Why? Why did God give Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth? Because he's the only one who deserves it. He's the only one who can rightly hold all authority in heaven and on earth. He's proven it. He's proven it because he used to hold all authority and he gave it up. He showed that he was worthy to hold that power because he was willing to give it up. And his father said, bingo, you're the man. God just didn't just highly exalt Jesus, but he gave him the name that is above every name. And name here, and especially in this time, doesn't just refer to someone's name, but the title that God has given to Jesus. His name is Jesus, but his title is what? Lord. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What is that title? It's the same word that is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that refers to the name of God, Yahweh. Jesus holds the name, the title that is equal with God. Because of his willingness to humble himself, he has been given all of the authority. The same authority that belongs to God, Jesus now wields it. God has made Jesus the king of all the earth. When Jesus went around preaching, 
he declared that the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, repent, which just means turn. Turn from your current path and go towards the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus has been made king of that kingdom. And now, even though resurrection isn't mentioned specifically here, it is more than assumed. Because without the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no good news. Why? Because if the good news is that Jesus, the wonderfully selfless, self-sacrificing Son of God, has been given all authority over all humanity, it makes no sense at all if he's still dead. In another letter, which is one of the earliest writings we have of the New Testament, Paul says that the resurrection of Jesus is so pivotal to Christianity that without it, we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. He said that if Jesus has not been risen from the dead with a physical body, you should point at Christians and laugh. Because it would be foolish to be a Christian with no resurrection. And when Paul was preaching in Athens, Greece, seven-hour drive south of here, he said that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. And then it says, by the man he has appointed. And then he said, he has given proof of this by resurrecting him from the dead. We need the resurrection or we have nothing. But thankfully, the resurrection of Christ from the dead has been well documented by multiple independent authors with many hundreds of eyewitness testimony and account. So it's not by blind, irrational faith that we believe this. The people saw him. They saw him and they wrote it down for our benefit. Aren't you glad they did? But it's one thing to believe it happened. And it's another thing to act on it. And that's exactly what we see next. In this six-verse biography of Jesus, we see all of us written into the story. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've seen what Jesus did. We've seen what God did. Now, what are we supposed to do about it? Do you have a knee? Do you have a tongue? Paul says that one day you will bow that knee and you will use that tongue to confess Jesus as Lord. Jesus doesn't fit with any other religion or spirituality. It's either all or nothing with him. You cannot follow Jesus and anything or anybody else. It doesn't work. Only he, it says right here, only he has the name above every name. He's the only one. Only he will receive homage from every person and being who has ever lived. There's nowhere else to point. It says in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's nowhere else to look. Every single person 
throughout time, space, spiritual beings, everybody, it says, will worship Jesus in the end. And just to hit the nail on the head, Paul quotes almost verbatim from the same prophet Isaiah who spoke these words 700 years prior to this. And this is God speaking. This is the, the personal name of God, Yahweh, speaking right here in Isaiah 45. It says this, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And then listen to this. It says, To me every knee shall bow, Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Those are the words of God. So according to Paul, along with the entire canon of the Bible, Jesus will eventually be Lord of everyone. You included, it says. The question for you, this side of death, is this. Will you receive him now? as both Lord and Savior. The first time Jesus came, it was entirely and simply a rescue mission. You've probably heard this passage from John chapter 3. It's the most famous passage in all of the Bible. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. But what does the next verse say? It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Through him alone. But saved. This was a rescue mission. When Jesus came and was born as a baby in Bethlehem, this was a rescue mission. When he lived 30 plus years and had disciples and then died, was buried and resurrected, this was all a part of this first rescue mission. And we're still on it. We're still in the middle of his rescue mission. And he wants to rescue you. But the next time Jesus comes, it will be to judge. God said, I have appointed someone to be the judge of all the earth, and I proved it by raising him from the dead. It's Jesus. He's the one. He's the only one. He's the only one who deserves it. He's the only one that can rightly wield power and authority. And so he's going to be the judge. Those who have not confessed him as Lord will not be saved, even though they will bow down. Only those who have confessed him while living will have that eternal life with him. So what should we do? Well, we should, in the words of Paul in Romans, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, because one day we'll do it, so we might as well do it now. And believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And Paul says, then you'll be saved. The invitation is out. All people are invited. Yes, it's, it's an exclusively Jesus path, but it's entirely inclusive because the path is open to all people. But Jesus is the only way. He said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father God except through me, he said. It's not my idea. Then Jesus becomes both our Savior and our Lord. But first, our Savior. We're in the middle of this rescue mission. So to have Jesus as your Savior means this, that you know you're a sinner, that you know you do wrong things, you know you need saving. That's the only prerequisite to this rescue mission. You know you're a needy person. I'm a needy person. I mess up every single day, every single hour. I need Jesus. I don't have it all together, and he knows that. That's why he came. Jesus lived the good life you couldn't live. Jesus died the death that you deserve. If you receive him as Savior, his blood cleanses you from all of that. In perpetuity, forever, completely washed clean, Nothing is off the table. Anything you've done can be forgiven and cleansed. This is more than good news. This is exceedingly great news. If you buy into it, if you, if you know you're needy, this is good news. If you don't think you're needy, this isn't news at all because you don't need it. But this was the task he came to accomplish. And he accomplished it. He said, it is finished. What was finished? The, the, the task that God the Father entrusted to him. He says, I want you to take on all of the darkness, all of the sin, all of the evil, all of it in the entire earth into your body, and I want you to let it kill you. And then I'm going to raise you from the dead. And in doing that, Jesus Christ defeated death. Not just spiritual death, physical death. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he received a new body that will never die, and so will you if you believe in Jesus. So that's to receive Jesus as your Savior. You can't do nothing. You needed Jesus to do all of it. But there's more than that. He's not just your Savior. He's also your Lord. To have Jesus as your Lord means this. It's pretty simple. You now obey him. You obey Jesus. He's now the boss of your life. You take him at his word. He's not your get-out-of-hell-free card. He's sitting on the throne of the earth, and that's over you too. His kingdom has been inaugurated. It's been started. It hasn't yet been consummated, fully fulfilled, but it has been started, and it starts in your heart. And it includes now. Heaven is not just some distant, angelic, baby, naked babies playing harps future. That's not what it is at all. Heaven is this. Jesus said, this is eternal life that they might know you, God, and your son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life starts now. And it's not just a, a length of life, like it's going to go on forever, though it is. It's, a, it's a, de a depth of life, an abundant life that starts now. 
Now, if you're wondering what following him as Lord will be like, just reread this passage. Jesus calls his followers to lay down their lives just like he did. We don't get to skip to Sunday. He didn't get to skip to Sunday. We follow his lead by being like him. We lay down our lives for our neighbors, for our families, for our friends, for our coworkers, for our city, for our nation. We lay down our lives. And that's what brings us new life. Scripture says, humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. It's the same path. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, that's great. Go ahead. But you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Does that sound easy? No, but he promises to be with you always. So we need to have Jesus as our Savior and our Lord Remember, this passage is in the context of Paul encouraging his friends in Philippi to embrace the gospel in unity. All together now, church, embrace the gospel in unity of mind, love, and focus. Make this the thing that is above everything in your life, above every passion, above every relationship. This defines you. You have been saved by Jesus Christ. This mini biography of Jesus is an illustration of how we are to behave as followers of Jesus. He said it as much in verse 5. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe it. But he says, have the same mind. Do as Jesus did. And in order to do that, we have to keep these two aspects in mind. Savior and Lord. Now, Savior and Lord, those sound very religious, you know, very religious terms. Those weren't always religious terms. These are political terms to these guys. These guys live in a Roman colony where Caesar was Savior and Lord. We have many Caesars that we put our hopes in, but ultimately they all fail to fulfill our deepest longings. Jesus is the only one who both saves us from our sin and empowers us to live a life that honors God, that is actually fulfilling. So when we mess up, he's right there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's the only one who saves us from sin and helps us avoid it and walk on the path that God has created for each of you. He's the only one worthy of all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, it's good. Our our culture is coming around to the idea that, you know, we shouldn't put people in power who lack character. Novel idea. Jesus alone has the character needed to assume this level of authority. And he's got better character than you. He's a better boss of your life than you are. This is the gospel. This is the good news. 
Jesus came to be the Savior and Lord of the world, and he earned every right to that role. If you're here today, and you're feeling the desire, the urge, the conviction, whatever you want to call it, to surrender your life to the only one who can both save and lead you, I want to give you the chance to respond to that call. So, we're all going to bow our heads, close our eyes. If you want to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus today, the Jesus who will eventually be the Lord of all the earth, but is giving you the chance to accept him as Savior, If you want to enter into a relationship with him today, you can. It's available to you. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. God bless you. 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 Now, it's all right if you know Jesus already to rededicate yourself to him. And I've seen hands that are raised to that effect. But if this is a first for you, if you're battling this, this inner dialogue that says, don't do it, don't do it, you'll regret it, I want to give you another chance. If raising your hand would mean you're submitting to the lordship of Jesus for the first time, go ahead and raise it. God bless you. All right. For those who raised your hands, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. And you can say it in your head or out loud after me. Dear Father God, holy is your name. I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I recognize that Jesus is the Savior you have provided. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you raised him from the dead. Thank you for having mercy on me. I confess that Jesus is Lord of all. I want to submit to him as the Lord of my life. I want to follow him for the rest of my life. I want my life to mean something. Please lead me by your Holy Spirit to worship and glorify Jesus. Thank you so much for saving me from sin, from death, and from myself. Amen.
When Jesus said that he had been given all authority in heaven and on earth, he continued and he said this. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right there we see that baptism is listed basically as your step one in following Jesus. In getting baptized, you are uniting yourself to him. We're going to hold a baptism after the second song. There's already a couple getting baptized, but if you gave your life to Jesus today for the first time and you have not yet been baptized, I encourage you to consider getting baptized. We do have extra towels. But for the rest of us, we're going to spend some time worshiping. Dor and Luann will be up front, on the right and the left. If you'd like to receive prayer, especially if you prayed with me, if you want to talk to someone about it, let them know. It's a really good step to take and get prayer from someone There's an enemy. His name is Satan. He's not a great guy. And he likes to attack people that are new in the faith. So, if you just gave your life to the Lord, you're going to experience some some spiritual warfare, they call it. And so, enlisting people to pray for you is really a good thing to do. So, I invite you to come forward for prayer. Or if you just want to get prayer one-on-one, whoever you are, come on forward and receive that. There's also communion. The table is set. It represents Jesus' blood poured out for us. It represents his body that was broken for us. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, this is one way we we remember his sacrifice for us. Let's go ahead and worship.